Somebody said, Amen. Yeah, hallelujah. Woo. Yeah, God's good. So amazing. So glad to be with you. So blessed at what God is doing. Excited about today, like hardly contain myself as I was preaching the message already in the first service and so anxious to get up here and do it again. We've got some accountability questions to ask you first, though. You ready? I want you to answer out loud when I ask you to about this question, but I want you to answer yes, and I don't want you to answer if you haven't done it. You ready? Did you spend at least five minutes a day, at least five days last week, reading or listening to God's Word? If so, yes. Amen. All right. Did you spend time alone with God this week with no agenda? Yes. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Yes. Are you giving as God has asked you to give in your time, your talents, and your resources? Yes. Did you share Jesus with someone this week? That one got a little quieter. Let's do it. All right. Did you invite someone to church with you this week? All right. There's cards over there to do that. That'll open the door for you to share Jesus and what he's done in your life. So you have those opportunities. Let's make it happen, okay? So we're moving on. You have often heard me say, it's all about Jesus. You will always hear me say, it's all about Jesus. And I'm going to say it again. It's all about Jesus. Amen. That's what it is. I want you to know today, you might as well get woke up and get ready because we're going to be celebrating a lot. In the message today, I want you to engage. I want you to listen. If you need coffee, it's right over there. You can get up right now and walk over there and get it. I don't think they're making drinks, but you can drink that other stuff right there. All right. So when I tell you it's all about Jesus, see, it's the defining line in all theology. That's the study of God. It's the defining line in all churches. It's the defining line in all eternity. Jesus is the line. It has been drawn by God himself, who is, as we will learn, Jesus. So, I want you to hear me, church. It's important. Those of you online, those of you in house, every single person needs to hear this. We need to know Jesus. But we also need to know who he is, what he's done, and what that means to us. Because just knowing Jesus doesn't save you when it's up here. The devil knows Jesus. He does. He knows he died on the cross. He knows he rose from the grave. He knows he's God, but he's not saved and he's going to hell. There's a lot of people that know Jesus up here. They know that Jesus died on the cross. They know he rose from the grave. They know he's God, but they're going to hell. People I'm talking about. People we love. It's critically important that you and I understand what it means to know Jesus here. To know him in your heart, your soul. To know him as your savior and all that he is and what he's done for us. And as we do this and as we look at what God wants to say to us, the answer to this question, who is Jesus, will determine your eternal destiny. That's why I say all the time, it's all about Jesus. There is no more important topic, no more important decision we will ever make in our life than that decision to either believe here in Jesus Christ or not. And as we look at the Word of God, we're going to do something that is critically important for us today in this discovery of Jesus and the fullness of who He is. This is not something we simply want to trust a Google search on, okay? 
All right, so like you can go ahead and put it in Google. Not now, of course, because your phones are on silent and you're not looking at them. But later on, if you do, you can look and say, who is Jesus? And you'll come up with all kinds of answers on Google. Look, they don't know what they're talking about. All right, don't trust them. So I'll give you a little, yes, scenario that happened to my wife and I. Um, we went to our oncologist. This was after her cancer surgery. She's in remission. We were there at the doctor's, and we were not seeing her oncologist. She was an amazing doctor, and we love her, and God brought her into our life. We're grateful. But this doctor that was seeing us this day was not her doctor. And so my wife was saying, I'm having this issue, and she told her what the problem was. Sorry, I didn't mean to say it was a... Let's just move on. She said, I'm having this issue. So you know what the doctor did? I was in the, in the room with her, uh, my wife and the doctor. The doctor sat down in the chair, turned around, and right in front of us brought up Google and put in her symptoms. No, I, I am not kidding. That's exactly what I was like. This is not happening right now. <laughs> well, let's see. And pushed enter. And I was like, okay, I'm done with you. All right, I am done with you. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but I was done with that doctor. I have zero confidence in her. Zero. It's like, I could have done that at home. And you know how many answers are on there? For one thing, just about every one of those Google searches leads to death. I don't want to read those. You know, if you have a headache, you might have a brain tumor. All right, just saying. All right, so... Sorry, I'm not making light of it, but it's like, come on, man. Are we that shallow that that's what we're doing? I thought we were supposed to know something. Well, I want you to know. You need to know something today and not just on a Google search or just because you heard someone say so. We need to know this topic to the core because our eternal soul is at stake. It's important for you and I to know this, Jesus. And we're not going to debate today about God's word. God's word will prove itself out. It always does. So if we want to know who Jesus is, we have to go to the Bible, which is the source that God has given to us, which is his word. All right? So again, I'm not going to debate the Bible with you. The Bible will prove itself, and we will touch on some things that prove the Bible again today. It's been debated throughout time. We know that. We have people talking about, you know, man wrote the Bible. Look, I want you to know that if you read the Bible, you know man didn't orchestrate it. God used man. God's word itself says the Holy Spirit anointed them to write the word of God. Okay, so he used human beings just like he's using me right now. But it was God's word that went through them into the pages for you and I. You can discount it if you want to, but you're accepting a whole lot of other stuff you've been told as fact without a doubt. You don't even question a lot of it. Look, when we were going up through school, we were taught things. This is what we were taught. Someone told us two plus two equals four, and they put two apples and two apples and four apples. And we were like, that's math. That works, right? All of that I understand. But we were just told that's what it was, right? I mean, seriously, but we believe that. And we're like, I believe that because it makes sense to me. It only makes sense to you because someone told you it did. <laughs> if they told you all along and everybody believed this, two plus two equals five, we would have accepted it as five. So history, none of us were there. None of us were there. None of us saw any of the things in history 
but we believe it. And we believe it because we were told it, and it was written down, guess what? By human beings. But we accept history. We accept mathematics. We accept all these things. We believe them. Let's believe God's word, okay? And let's not dwell here. Let's step into the word of God, which is going to prove itself to be true. So let's read it. John 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. All right. So right now, our human brain is processing that sentence when it says, in the beginning. So in the beginning to us is a starting point, right? In the beginning, that's like, okay, it starts here. And this is God's word. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. In other words, prior to our understanding of beginning, the word was always there. So God's word is already telling us the word is eternal beyond our comprehension, As you look at that scripture, then it's saying, in the beginning, the word already existed. That references back to Genesis 1-1, which is the very start of the Bible, when it says, in the beginning, God. Oh, how amazing this is that it just so happened that thousands of years later, the, the gospel being written by the apostle, disciple John, writes, in the beginning, the word already existed. So when we look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't try and prove to us that God exists. It assumes we should know so. (laughs) In the beginning, God. He's there. He always was. He always will be. And we may not fully understand the fullness of that, but it is what it is. All right? So listen now. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. And the word was God. Following along here? God, the word, the same. He existed in the beginning with God. Not our beginning, their beginning. God, the word, existed together. God created everything through him And nothing was created except through him. Who is the him? The word. Church, listen to what's going on. This is critically important because what we're seeing is a reflection of Genesis 1 in the New Testament gospel about Jesus Christ. And what it says is the word was always with God. The word was God and everything was made through him by God. So the word existed from the very, very, very beginning of eternity with God forever. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. So there is nothing alive that was alive except through the word, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became flesh. So the word of God, as we're reading it through here, John says, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. So we are being told right now, God, the word became human like you and I. 
And so it says here in that word, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So as we read that scripture, it says God's word is teaching us that Jesus, the word, existed before Bethlehem. Some wrong teaching spiritual people think Jesus came into existence at Bethlehem. They tell us that God had sex with Mary, the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus was born. He became a son of God. When you look at the word of God, it teaches us contrary to what stupid people in churches teach us. Hey, we got to know the truth. And the truth is that Jesus, the word, was always with God. He is God. And all things were created through him. At Bethlehem, the Word became flesh. It was there that God himself came as a human being. And we'll see more about that as we look into the Word of God further. We also see right here that in creation, all life was given through Jesus Christ. All life was given through Jesus Christ. (laughs) This is critical, church, because you see, as we will go into this in the scriptures and what it teaches us, we know that sin brought death. And sin brought death, which means it killed the life that Jesus gave in the beginning. And the reason why this is so critical for us is because Jesus then died, the word became flesh, in order to restore that life back to us. He was the giver of all life in the beginning. He's the only one that can give life, and he's the only one that can give life now. Man, sin took it out of us, and Jesus said, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to come and become life for them once again and restore that that sin took from us. Church, this is the moment of celebration, one of many that we will have today. God is amazing in what he's done for us. And this is exactly why Jesus is the dividing line in all the world. He is the dividing line in the church. If churches are teaching anything other than salvation in Jesus Christ, that church is wrong. If any teacher is preaching anything other than Jesus, they are wrong. If I ever teach anything other than Jesus, I will be wrong. Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior of the world, for he is God made flesh, restoring life and making an opportunity for you to I to have a right relationship with him, God. Amen. That's awesome stuff right there, church. Amen. <laughs> so there's no other way to be saved than through the one that gave life in the very beginning. No other way to have life except through him. So we're looking at creation, life, God, humanity, sin, and restoration. So let's go back to that moment in Genesis chapter 1 that is so critical for us to understand in the foundation of this so that we can see the fullness of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, um, Remember, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That's a Bible verse that God gave, right? It is, in case you don't know that. Genesis 1, right here, as we're reading this, in the original Hebrew language that the Old Testament is written in, uses this statement and uses that plural right there, let us. The reason we translate it into English as us, it's because it is plural. Let us, Father, 
Word, Holy Spirit, three. Let us make human beings in our Father, Word, Spirit, image, and likeness. It's right there. Church, the plural God is one. Now, when you and I talk about this, and man, I've heard the Trinity and everybody thinks they can explain it to us. I've heard people use the egg, there's a shell, there's a yolk, and there's a white, and all three are one, distinctly different, but one thing. Great. If that helps you get it, fine. But I want you to know that you're not going to fully comprehend it until you see it, until you're there with God, because this is where our human brain breaks down a little bit. God himself said, I am one. God himself said, us, Father, Word, Spirit. Okay. Here's where our little brain needs to just kind of surrender and say, I believe you because you're God and I'm not. Okay, that's settled. Let's move on. Let us make human beings in our image and to be like us, in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So let's just pause for a minute and get the fullness of what God just did. God created us, and he gave us dominion or authority to rule this planet. So what God did was he said, I'm going to make you in my image, my likeness. Now I'm going to make you like me and give you authority to rule in this place, the earth, this planet. Over every living thing there, humanity is the top. God's, God's order. He says, now I'm going to give you that and I want you to have this authority. So what happens now as we look at that whole creation account is Adam and Eve in this relationship with God given authority by God, standing in right relationship with him, ruled over this planet. All the animals, the sea, everything here. But what happened is Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned, this position was given over to Satan. So here's what happened in that. We're going to read it in just a moment, but just listen. Here's what's going on. We stand in this position given by God, and we're given that God by his word. And he gives direction in his word, and they are to live according to his direction. God says, don't touch that or eat that. Satan says, hey, you should touch and eat that. Adam and Eve make a decision. It's not the thing that they ate. It's not the thing that they touched. It's the act of disobedience to the word of God. And in the act of the disobedience to the word of God, they accepted other word rather than God's word. They accepted what this was said to them rather than what God said to them. And in that moment that they decided to take their own actions and do their own thing, they pushed God aside and took on their own godness. And in that moment where they took on their own godness, saying, I don't need you, I'll make my own decisions, death was born and the breath of God left. The giver of life was removed and the giver of death 
was planted in the soul of humanity. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 4. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up. And that Hebrew word for springs can also mean mist. Either way, listen to what it says, came up from the ground and watered all the land. We're going to keep reading, but I need to pause here because this is one of these moments that God's word proves itself to us, church. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a scientific group that studies our earth. And just in the last two weeks, an article came out from them that they have discovered under the surface of the earth a rock that is like a sponge that contains water. We didn't know that existed before. We've just discovered this, and they said that that layer of moisture holds three times the water that is now currently existing on the planet's surface. Okay. Come on, man, I got chills right now. You ought to be like, whoa, God. Because God said in the very beginning, when I made all this, I know what I'm doing. I didn't need rain to fall from heaven. I was just letting the sprinklers go on every once in a while that I planted in there so that it could water the earth and bring forth what I said for it to bring forth. I mean, go ahead and debate it all you want to. But we're just now, thousands of years later, seeing what God said thousands of years ago in his own actions. Come on. I mean, really? Church, like, come on. We should be celebrating that and be like, that's my God. That's my God right there. Amen? That's awesome. See, what I'm telling you is God's word is truth. God's word is truth. It proves itself out over and over and over again. All right, we go on with that. I don't want to do that. We got to keep moving. Listen, it's in Genesis 2. We keep reading now. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life. Pause. Remember what we read in John chapter 1? That God created and through the word... Everything was given life. So what we're seeing right here now is that dust, all of a sudden the word, <laughs> life. <laughs> the word giving life. The dust of the ground, he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. See, it is right here. The word breathed life into the dust, and we came alive with the very breath of God within us, for he is the giver of life. We receive that life from him. <laughs> it is that breath that sin robbed us of. Let's continue forward in seeing Jesus as the one and only Savior of the world, the restorer of that God breath within us. See, when God established the law in the book of Moses, 
uh, writing in Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all that that covers the law that God gave in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Listen, God himself established something. He said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, a truth is known. He said no one is convicted by one witness. God said this. There must be two or three witnesses to make sure that this is truth. So God, according to his own law, gives witness to his own truth. He's amazing. Now look, when we know this, this truth that we've been given, when it says the two or three witnesses, God established that, and it's written in Deuteronomy 19.15 about the fact of being two to three witnesses. Then Jesus, in his own teaching about problems that we encounter, affirms that teaching in Matthew 18.16. In that verse, he talks about needing two to three witnesses. In 2 Corinthians 13.1, it is also reaffirmed that a truth is known by the, by the mouth of two or three witnesses. It is also affirmed in 1 Timothy 5.19. Now, I'm telling you all that because, church, I want you to see that God's word holds true to God's own proof and that the necessity of a witness. So it's affirmed in the Old Testament. It's affirmed three other times in the New Testament. It's other places. I'm giving you those to understand that God himself affirms his own truth, and there's a witness to what truth is. So we have read in the Gospel of John a book written by the disciple, the apostle John, following Jesus, about the word of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, that God himself became flesh, the word. Now then, let's read in the book of Colossians and see what we are told in a separate book, not written by John, but written through the apostle Paul. And let's read it now in Colossians 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. <laughs> he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. There you go, church. We're given a second affirmation again that Jesus, the Word, existed in the very beginning with God, as God, and He created everything. He did not come into existence at Bethlehem. He is God and was there in the very beginning. God, Word, Spirit. Check it out. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Oh, wait a minute. What did we just read in John? Through him, the word. All things were created by him and for him. Okay. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and the authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Do you think Jesus matters, church? Come on. It's right there. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Oh man, we're just like getting really deep right here. And through him, 
God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. <laughs> Woo, yeah, man. That is definitely breakout time right there. <laughs> wow, God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. That's the way God sees every one of us that are in Christ. <sighs> But you must continue to believe in this truth and stand firmly in it. Man, continue to believe. Don't drift. Don't wander. Don't go away from it. It says you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Oh, okay. So as we read that section of scripture there, I can tell you that obviously it's to celebrate. And I have been like, you know, I've been so excited to do this and speak with you today just because of how important this is to us in Jesus. But as we celebrate this, let's see in the text that it clearly teaches us Jesus was God and he was human. He was flesh. In verse number 19, it said, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So Christ was fully God in him. Verse 22 says, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. So true, critically important things for our belief in Jesus. We have to know and believe that he was God. And we have to know and believe that he died in a physical body like mine and yours. So here's the deal as we move forward in this. We see that Jesus was God and he was human. And he did not and he could not die in his godness. For his death for humanity would have done no good as a god. Amen. He had to die as a human being sinless. As the, this is going to make sense in a second, as the second Adam. He had to come in the human form and live the life that God himself planned and required of us to live so that he could make right what Adam and all of us screwed up. When we look at this, see, his death had to take place in the flesh as a human because the only way for that death to be paid for and life to be restored had to be in the one that gave life in the beginning. It had to be the word of God that became flesh to pay the price of our sin. For the only way for that life to be restored is for the life giver himself to restore it. And therefore he came upon Mary. Know, know the story of, of Christmas. When the, when the angel came to Mary, he said, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You're a virgin. She's like, I don't know how I can get pregnant. I'm a virgin. He says, wait a minute. I want to tell you something. God's not going to have sex with you 
because she would have no longer been a virgin. He said, what's going to be born of you will be that from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's going to plant inside of you the word, and it's going to become flesh. So what's developing inside of you is a sinless human being. The second Adam. So God created himself in the womb as flesh. And he was born as a human being. (laughs) I mean, I'm telling you, that is like crazy, like blows your mind. Amazing what God's doing. So this is why he had to be born of a virgin and not a human baby. Because there was no way for any human being to be sinless that was born of the seed of man because it was the seed of Adam. That's where sin originated and was passed on. And so this sinless Savior... The Word became flesh. Now, when I talk about the second Adam, it's the sinless man. There's the sin man, Adam, and the sinless man, Jesus. This is why Jesus was tempted in every way like we were, as the Word of God teaches us. This is why after his baptism, when he came forth from the water... And again, here's one of those things that are borderline heresy, just so you know. It's theology, and people struggle with this, and here's the, the problem with our brain figuring it all out, right? Here's Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, Matthew 3, you can read about that. And as Jesus comes out of the water, the Father speaks from heaven, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit is seen separate from the voice in the form of a dove falling upon Jesus, and then we have the physical Jesus that just got baptized, So the Father is witnessing about Jesus and witnessing with the Holy Spirit, this is the one and only. So we have the witnesses right there that God said. Secondly, what we see is this problem with our own understanding of one God in the theology of all things because there's God the Father in heaven. There's the Spirit descending alone from the Father out here, and we see the Son down here. So now we're like, oh, wait a minute, they're all God. Yep, and they're all one. Again, you go back to the brain, it's like, hey, a lot of smarter people than us can't figure it out, neither can we stop trying. Just accept it. He's God. It will make sense when we get there, and he opens up that other part of our brain that doesn't work right now, and he's going to be like, let me show you something. Wham, and we're going to be like, ooh. (laughs) We'll be back down on our knees again, just like, oh, God, you're amazing. So let's do it right now, you know? Oh, God, you are amazing. So what had to happen? A second Adam had to come for Adam's descendants to fix what we screwed up. And so as we read in the book of Romans, I love the book of Romans, man. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Okay, now I'm so glad we don't end right here because this is depressing. And you know, (laughs) everybody here, I was telling them in the first service, this is a good time for you to boo. I don't know if you've ever booed in church, but you can boo Adam right now, you know, like, boo Adam. (laughs) Okay, when Adam sinned, sin into the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. 
from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Again, pretty depressing. We're looking at this like everyone's dead, everyone's dying. It happens to everyone, and it's because of sin. Church, you're going to die because of sin. And everyone has sinned. So we could boo Adam, now we can boo ourselves. Yeah, because everyone sinned. If he hadn't screwed it up, we would have. Here's the deal, though, as we go forward in this scripture. Listen, it's, yeah, we're about to change those boos into excitement now. You ready? Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a difference, a great difference, between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. Oh, I feel horrible about myself. And God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Man, hallelujah, God is awesome, isn't he? For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift for righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yeah, hallelujah, man. Glory to God. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Man, oh man, is that awesome or what? It's like, whoa, I'm all worn out now. <laughs> just like, wow, God, I'm overwhelmed. As we celebrate this church, we need to see this. The reason we are here gathered on this Sunday morning is because of what God did on Easter morning celebration that we were at a couple weeks ago. We are here celebrating the fact that God has made a new way. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath day Saturday was the ending of the week. I think it's significant, important to forget this. Like, as we look at that whole account, the seventh day was the ending. That was the Sabbath. It was when everyone came to do their religious obligations to God. <laughs> Jesus died, was in the tomb over the Sabbath, and he rose on the first day of the week, Sunday. All things became new. The old was past. Everything became new. God had fulfilled his promise to us. God, the restorer of life, said now we can start things off this way. So we start on the first day of the week in a celebration of the triumphant work of Jesus Christ, our God, our Savior, who died for our sins, conquered death, arose from the grave, and offered us life forevermore. This amazing celebration is why the church gathers on Sunday, the first day of the week, and we gather together as the body of Christ, just like we just read, because he's the giver of life. We've received that life, and when the Holy Spirit came, he breathed that back into us, church. Man, we ought to be celebrating. That's why we come together on
We're here to celebrate that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's my Savior. He's your Savior. He is the one and only Savior for everyone out there. There's no other way than Jesus Christ. And man, we need to celebrate that not just in church, which we need to. And I'm just going to say you guys are doing amazing, but we need to get better. We do. I mean, come on, man. If we really get it when we're coming in here, it's like, I'm alive. I have a relationship with God. I made right. God sees me as holy. I mean, how in the world can we just sit around and be like, that's cool. <laughs> God sees us holy. <laughs> he breathed in us. We've been given back what sin took from us. <laughs> okay, so here it is. We're celebrating that fact. So the forgiveness of sin and right standing with God has been made available through Jesus Christ alone. The Word of God teaches us this truth. And it, we can make sure that the church, the followers, the people that teach us, the ones that are before us, and that we ourselves know and we're sharing with others that it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If you don't know Him as your one and only Savior, you need to know Him today. Man, you need to know him as your savior. Not just know him, know him. By faith, we step into that relationship with God. God gives us a witness within ourselves. The word of God tells us it's the Holy Spirit. God himself comes to live within us once again. The breath of God restored. We are a living soul in relationship with the Father. And that only happens through Jesus Christ when you receive forgiveness of your sins and you believe that he is your one and only Savior. And if you don't know him, today's the day. Would you stand with me? They'll make it easy for anyone that needs to get out to come to the altar. Now, when we do an altar call, which you know I do every single week, and I always will, I'm inviting people first and foremost, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you need to come and receive him. He is available. He is real. He loves you. And it's him and him alone that can save you. The only hope of heaven is through him. Now, we don't tell everybody to just raise your hand. We don't ask anybody to just be quiet about it. We're saying, man, if you need Jesus, you need to come, and you need to let everybody see you because we want to support you and, and just be right alongside of you, celebrating with you as you come forward. Anyone else want to come? The altar's open. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, here, you know him as your Lord and Savior you need to rejoice and celebrate in who he is and what he's done for you. Today, church, today, he is our Savior. He is my Savior. He is my God. And he has breathed his life back into me. How can I not yet praise him, man? He's incredible. Father, we're so humbled. We're so undeserving. We're so unworthy. <laughs> but God, <laughs> thank you. For, thank you for coming as one of us to pay the price of sin we could not pay ourselves. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those words fall pale, Lord. We humbly receive that life, that forgiveness, that restoration that you offer. And we rejoice, Lord, that we have been made new and that we will ever be with you as a result of that incredible gift of salvation. Lord, 
Help us to be bold in sharing the good news with others. We love you, Lord. Thank you. It is in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, God. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being here, church. Love you. You're dismissed. <laughs>